All right, everybody, welcome back to the latest Kente Corner, your favorite Georgetown basketball podcast. I'm Bobby Bancroft, joined by Andrew Geiger, the head casual Hoya, and we've got a special special guest today, Nolan. You guys know him from Twitter, Nationwide. Nolan, I believe, uh, X's and O's, extraordinaire, contributor to the Casual Hoya Lunch Georgetown blog. What's up, guys? <laughs> What's going on? Happy New Year. Hey. How's it going, guys? Well, pretty good after last night. Georgetown did what they absolutely positively had to do, and they treated St. John's at home just like they were treated on the road at Providence and Seton Hall in a wire-to-wire blowout win to get them to 1-2 and in the conference, falling to 0-3. Probably would have been lights out. Um, what are you guys' thoughts about last night? Huge win. Um, yeah, I'll chime in first just because – I want to, um, okay. but basically, obviously, big win, necessary win. I thought this was a, a must win, frankly, uh, for a lot of reasons. I, I think the, the first two games were sort of excusable losses, if that makes sense. Um, so this one was really the first one on the schedule. Even when the schedule first came out, they thought they couldn't afford to lose. Um, and as it turned out, you know, they, they lose to Providence, they lose to the Hall. And here we are, we're 0-2. So I think it was obviously a big win just to kind of get everyone's mind straight, um, especially with Villanova coming up on the schedule. Yeah, needed win. Um, Matchup-wise, a little better. St. John's, um, you know, first half, they're really just a driving kick team. And then second half, when we kind of ran into some, some trouble, they started to run a little bit more ball screen action, which we'll get into later. But I thought they played really well last night. Um, wasn't the best St. John's has played this year, but you take that when you can get it. They took advantage of it. So needed step in the right direction. Couldn't afford to go to 0-3. Dr- driving kick team is interesting as the worst three-point shooting team in the league so far. And they, did, they weren't much better last night. Of course, they were better. They were in the 20% coming in. They were, I think they were 13%. So Mike Anderson's got them better than most people thought. But yeah, they definitely can't thrive playing the way that they tried to play in the first half. Yeah, I think people have been looking for who's going to fall towards the bottom of the conference, and my bet would be them. I just don't think the personnel over time in the Big East is is going to work out for them this year. No, and going back to you know the the tough stretch to open up. Obviously, on the road is tough, and Seton Hall, you know, is going to be one of the better teams. But and I talked about it with Ben on the last podcast. Just really unfortunate that McClung missed the at Providence game because when you go and you look at their schedule yeah. and you say, who are they going to try? And, like, If you go to Ken Palm right now, it has Georgetown winning all their home games except Seton Hall and losing all of their road games, which I'm sure they're going to win some road games. But that Providence game, you're like, wow, Like, if you're at full strength, probably one of the ones you can probably get. I don't. That was probably going to be Ed Cooley and Providence's best offensive performance. I definitely don't believe in them. Yeah, I yeah, think it was also, even, even with Mac, I think it was – kind of wrong spot, wrong time, New yeah. Year's Eve, an early start. Um, and as you see now with Providence, you kind of caught them right when they were starting to figure things out. So I, I do think you can kind of throw that one in the trash. And even the similar with Seton Hall with Mac just coming back, it's going to take time to get acclimated again. And that, that was another bad matchup. So I think we find out a lot more on Saturday. Yeah, and Seton Hall's always a bad matchup, or at least it has been lately. And they're just a tough team. I mean, arguably, they're the best team in the conference. So I, you can't say that that was 
you know, uh, something, a game that they should have had. Uh, obviously, you want to be more competitive, I guess. I mean, it was kind of seemed like it was over pretty quick, as was the Providence game. Um, but again, a loss is a loss, and uh, that to me is sort of one you you can you can toss. Providence stings a little bit for the reasons mentioned. I'd certainly rather play them on like a sleepy Wednesday evening um, than on New Year's Eve, and obviously at full strength. But um, I agree with Nolan. I mean, they they had figured stuff out. They were coming off that win against Texas in which they looked much better. They looked pretty good against us, and they've looked pretty good so far. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. By the way, speaking of things you can throw in the trash, a lot of people were coming at me after both those road losses to start out. Can we talk about, and I know Nolan's got some stuff on it, what Ewing has O'Meara 7 doing on defense coming out? Yeah. Um, specifically what, what's your, your take on that? Um, first off, I think he stuck with the same scheme all year, which makes me think, you know, it was the plan with a full roster with a Kinjewet point guard, possibly even Josh playing backup minutes at center. Um, but that's no longer the case. So for anybody, everybody's probably knows at this point, Vodomir is hard hedging out, which in most cases, the benefit of that is you take away pick-and-pop opportunities for other teams. Obviously, against Seton Hall, Romero Gill, he's not going to hurt you pick-and-popping. He's right. a rolling he's a rolling center, and that scheme for that game, it's it just didn't make much sense to me. Um, with Omir, I think most of the time, um, without a shooting threat that he's guarding, it'd be much easier just to drop him in coverage. Um, and you have guards now in Terrell and Jagan who – they're a little bit stronger physically, and they can work over screens, I think, better than James could when he was the starting point guard. So, you know, when you're playing drop coverage, you're looking for the guard to work over the screen. Omir is going to be in the paint, and the goal is really to force long-range two-point jump shots, make a guard, hit a floater over Omir instead of bringing him out 30 feet. And then, you know, the defense is just kind of, you know, the back line – with Jamarco and the opposite wing have to be responsible to the cover on the back end when you're hedging like that. So if we're not playing a team that has the threat of a pick and pop, that scheme really to me hasn't made much sense, um, especially against Seton Hall. What did you make of Len Elmore sort of going off on Pickett on him? Not, I think he was giving Pickett a hard time, particularly in the Seton Hall game when, um, they were just going off from three that he wasn't doing his responsibility after Omir's doing what he's doing. Yeah, I think it's, I think Kale made what five threes and he entered that game. I think he was like three or four. Yeah. He was, I think 25% on the year. So I think DeMarco was in a tough spot back there. Um, I tweeted that last night. I think people have underrated how much he's actually improved overall. Um, especially defensively and chipping in as a rebounder. I think he's kind of turned into the ideal stretch four. Um, yeah. But, yeah, he, he gets lost a couple times on defense. Um, he still makes some boneheaded plays. But I think just, you know, if you play Seton Hall, especially with McKnight at point guard, I mean, you can just go under screens all game with him. If he beats you shooting the ball, um, you take God it. Bless. But, yeah, yeah, to have Gill just rolling into the paint and then, uh, collapsing the defense just 
it didn't seem to be the right game plan. Um, against other teams, I mean, Villanova's a team on Saturday that, you know, they can put shooters all over the floor. So if you want a hard, hard hedge and get rid of that pick and pop threat, that'll make more sense Saturday. But, you know, Seton Hall, maybe more than any other team in the league, that scheme just uh, didn't really add up. And it yeah, for me, just on uh, on your seven and, and pick it real quick. I, you know, for for a game that was in, there was really no doubt about the outcome. Pretty much, you know, halfway through the first half, essentially, um, I was so frustrated at the way your seven and pick it played in the second half. Uh, maybe irrationally, I don't know. It just seemed like, and one of the broadcasters was was, was talking about it a lot about your seven's lack of perceived toughness and how he's, he's just got to, you know, throw some elbows out there and, and, and hold on to rebounds and not let guys who are smaller than him grab the ball. Pickett's making sloppy passes. You know, at the end of the day, Pickett's got 18 and 11 and four blocks and what have you, and your seven's got his usual double-double. But for some reason, that game left me with actually like somewhat of a, a sour taste in my mouth. Yeah, I mean, he's – I think once we've hit Biggie's play now, you can see he's not – I don't really think he has a mean streak in him. Um, I mean, just to his size and strength, he, he really should be more of a presence around the rim. But um, a lot of the same problems with Jesse over the last couple of years have seen the pop up again. Um, I don't think it's so much a coaching issue. I just think it's their demeanor and the way they, their style of play is uh, – but for me, the overarching theme the last couple of years has been the pick-and-roll defense. I jotted down, um, you know, the last three years, Ewing's first year, they ranked 277th um, in pick-and-roll defense. Last year was 230th, and now this year it's up to 298. So something's mm-hmm. amiss there. Um, and I think it does relate to the center position and, and it's not just both guessing. inability and how they're utilized. Yeah, um, actually, we there was a couple of us last night after the game um, in the media room talking about if your seven could shoot maybe like Jesse or if Jesse was on this team and not Omir. And you, the fact that you have Wahab, who I think has been, for me, I, I didn't see a lot of him. I think he's been a real pleasant surprise. If your seven could shoot a little bit more and stretch it, you could almost start him and Wahab because I think Wahab has sort of the Hoya toughness that most of us kind of remember from when we probably started following the program. I, I'm totally with you. I would say I think Wahab has a chance to be the best interior defender they've had since, at least since Hopkins and maybe even predating that. Um, I mean, Monroe was never much of a defensive player. I mean, you could almost go all the way back to Hibbert. Um, yeah. I think he could be that solid on the defensive end. Maybe what Macklin could have been if he didn't check out. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. I mean, I, I think Wahab's been fantastic. I agree. A, a big bright spot. Um, you know, he still plays like a freshman, though. Um, I, I don't know if I would make some lineup changes to get him in there at this point, at least in the starting lineup. Uh, but I do think as certain games, um, you know, proceed that playing your seven and Wahab at the same time could be beneficial. And then it, then it gives you a chance to – you don't just have Blair off the bench. You have – I guess you'd probably sit Mosley or Pickett, and I'm not sure which one that they would do. And Ewing's probably not going to do this, but that would give you more. You're not just looking, okay, on the bench, we've got Blair and Mirasan, <laughs> you know. 
Yeah, I mean, is there, is there yeah. any particular opponent that you think, you know, if you just thought off the top of your head, that uh, that, that big lineup could Seton be successful Hall. again? I think against no. Seton Hall, I think that they need to play differently and not have him, not have Wahab do what Omir was doing and make those centers, you know, not just give him a free lane to the hoop. I mean, those guys aren't going to do anything outside of dunking it, right? Yeah, against Seton Hall, um, I mean, I'm shadowing uh, Powell as much as possible with McKnight and Gill. I I mean, I go onto the screen on McKnight, and if he, he makes shots, he makes shots. But, I mean, that's, him and Gill should not be two guys who are going to beat you in a, in a matchup like that. So the offense was back last night. Let's switch to the good stuff. Georgetown, I think I pointed out, I figured it out, I was doing it right before the game. At one point I was saying, well, you know, Georgetown has to get to 70. That's actually not accurate. They need to get to 80. In Big East play, including the NCAA tournament games, there's something like 12 and 5 when they score over 80. And when they don't, they're 3 and 21 under Ewing, right? So pretty much you have to get to 80. They're not going to slow it down and do like a Mike Bray burn. Or, you know, even last night when St. John's was trying to speed the game up, they were sort of playing right into their hand of, oh, well, you know, we broke the press. We're not going to, like, just dribble it and try and, you know, they kept going to the hoop and some turnovers. Next thing you know, it's down to 13, and everyone's really, really anxious. But the offense was working last night. Allen and Mosley got involved. What did what what'd you kind of see from last night? I think that St. John is just a better matchup. Um, they're yeah. not as physical as you ran into a Seton Hall in Providence. Um, those two teams, I think Providence and Seton Hall, at least on the defensive end, those might be the two worst matchups, um, just because of how physical they are, especially with O'Meara in the low post. Um, if he gets knocked off his spots, um, as much as Pat still wants to play through the post, that's an issue. Um, but when they can play loose, play free, um, I thought the guards were great again last night. I think, you know, that the three guard lineups, I mean, those three, when they've been on the floor together, um, that's as good of guard play as Georgetown has had in quite some time. Um, I think they've been so good that, if anything, I would even like to see Jagan and Terrell shoot the ball a little bit more, um, Mosley especially. I mean, lately, even on contested shots that he's taking, you feel pretty good about it going in. Um, so I thought they were great. Um, I'd just like to see O'Meara be a little bit tougher inside, finishing around the rim, but as long as those guards are are moving the ball and everybody's playing with pace, um, it's a legitimately good offense. I think it's up to 19th now in Ken Palm, um, hmm. and it hasn't been a fluke. I mean, they've they've been playing really well. Yeah, just on, to chime in on Mosley, it's really amazing uh, to see his game elevate since the defections or the departures. Um, you know, I don't know whether just the, the personalities and the chemistry of the team changed or what have you, but he has really embraced his role as a senior leader. Uh, and not just, you know, with the rah-rah stuff, his play on the court has been just tremendous. I mean, and now when he shoots threes, I'm like, fantastic. Whereas before it's like, Oh no, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You expect so, it to win now. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, kudos to Jagan. I think he's, um, really just been much more impressive this season and has really emerged as a, as a fan favorite as well. He, um, there was someone on the Big East call. It was actually someone from the Big East.com 
was asking you and he's like hey you know i'm doing a story on the glue guys unsung heroes what have you and you know obviously patrick said well you know we can't we can't play without mac or O'Neill, but we're probably not going to win without jagan either and he was he was pretty high on him and i think we saw ewing's first two years you know jagan was you know playing a lot he wanted him in and at the end of games it didn't always necessarily go the best way for Georgetown, but you could tell he really trusted him and he's playing this year, probably like Patrick had, you know, sort of had him figured for the last, last couple of years. Yeah, make no mistake. I still don't want him, you know, dribbling the ball, facing a press with the game in doubt. You know, I still, I still, still don't trust him in that, in that spot. Um, but just generally he's, uh, he's been much better this year. Yeah. I mean, that's the best part of this current group is they've all kind of understood what their limitations are. I mean, he's not going to put the ball on the floor and drive much. Jamarco now hardly ever puts the ball on the floor, which is a good thing. Um, it's just kind of yeah. geared around Mac and O'Meara and everybody else falls in line. It's been nice to watch. So, do you think just just to throw this to Nolan? I mean, Mac didn't play obviously against Providence. Seton Hall, you know, he had a poor game. Yesterday or last night, he has a good game. Is, is this season's Hoyas sort of the, you know, as McClung goes, so go the Hoyas? It's, I mean, the Providence game, I mean, I think right now if they were down any of those five starters, they just have no chance with the depth. Um, I don't think he needs a big scoring nights, um, but it's, it's hard to see him on the floor for 30 minutes now and not putting up 20 points. Um, the efficiency might come and go, but he, he's going to find his way into, you know, 15 to 20 points, even on an off night. Um, it's, I think you need at least one of him and Omir having an efficient night. Um, but I, I've been a max skeptic, but ever since Akinjo has gone out, I mean, you are kind of seeing more of the Gate City version, as people like to say mm-hmm. of Mac. Um, mm-hmm. I think there was one person who even tweeted out, "There's a chance Mac could even, you know, really climb up the ranks of Georgetown all-team leading scorers." And you're starting to see that. Um, he's just had a nice feel for things. Um, he hasn't really four shots. I think when he was playing with James, he would kind of hunt his shot to be. You know, your turn, my turn. He did that. He pressed a little in the Seton Hall game coming back. Um, but I think he's, for the most part, he's walked the fine line of knowing he has to score for this team, but he hasn't overdone it. I think he's picked his spots well. So I do think we're going to go as he goes. But I'm, on the offensive end, I'm pretty confident that he can he can carry the load for really the next couple of years for the program. Yeah, you could see Ewing still gets, you know, visibly frustrated at some of Mac's decisions, but it's almost uh, a good thing for us now that he has to stay on the court because of the depth issues, because he's learning from them. You know, in the past, yeah, when I think, the, all uh, those other guys were there, he'd be pulled from the game. Yeah, I think um, his AAU coach had tweeted out, you know, early on in the season, or maybe right, right after Kendall left, that you'll see a different Mac when you let him play through a couple of mistakes and find a rhythm, which kind of yeah. at the at the moment just sounded like he was kind of pumping up his guy. But you can see that now that if you let Mac get going, he, he catches a rhythm and uh, he's, he's been everything you could have asked for this year so far. Yep. 
Yeah, I know there there was someone I think before the transfers was I don't know if it was just some sort of Mac Mac parody account or Mac bot, but they were sort of always putting his points and how many points he needed to be the all-time leading scorer at Georgetown, which seemed ridiculous. But we're basically going to get, assuming he stays in, you know, he stays at Georgetown, like doesn't leave for pro or whatever, you're going to get two and a half years of him averaging about 20 points, which is a pretty good clip. And it's going to be determined how far he goes up, you know, if they can actually win a Big East tournament game, you know, if they can get to an NIT or an NCA and actually, you know, win a couple games because, you know, you start getting into the amount of games played, which, Georgetown's been a one and done or a one and done and then no no postseason play, but he's gonna end up pretty high when you look at what his average is gonna be. And if 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 he, you know, if he stays at Georgetown, there's no reason why he wouldn't average 20 the next few years, but that's getting that's getting way, way ahead. Speaking of getting way ahead, I know nobody wants to see it or no one wants to talk about it. And Georgetown's been in most of the NCAA tournament bracketology stuff super early. They were also in the first initial, um, I think there's a guy, NYC Hoops, that does the NIT bracketology, had them as a one seed. Andrew, one seed. Your, your thoughts? <laughs> Look, <I'll, laughs> obviously, uh, I'd prefer them to be in the NCAA bracketology. L- love seeing a one seed, though. Um, but The crazy luckily, part. The end, yeah, go ahead. The crazy part was that all of Georgetown's good non-conference wins, those teams were also in the NIT. Right. So you had Oklahoma State was in that bracket, SMU, Syracuse, Texas. (laughs) So they had all of those schools in there as well. Well, that's that's the problem. I mean, as as much as we let those those road wins were impressive, um, those teams really haven't been all that impressive since we beat them. No, um, Oklahoma State without their point guard was a total mess. And I don't know about you guys, but I. In my lifetime, I've never seen a Syracuse team this bad. Um, oh, it's terrible. Their talent level, yeah, it's it's awful. You know, we're we're almost in a weird position where we have to root for Syracuse. I think down the road <laughs> at some point to knock off one of these better teams in the ACC just to help us out of this. I watched the other night. I think it was on ESPN Plus or what one of the ESPNs. There was basically no one in the Carrier Dome. I don't know if school's in session or whatever, but there was no one there, and they lost to Virginia Tech, who coming into the year, you know, Buzz left, and it was like they had nobody, and they didn't really have a huge problem going into the Dome and winning. Yeah, it's... yeah. I mean, a lot of a lot of the uh, a lot of the you know Syracuse Twitter folks that uh, I usually see pop up on the timeline have been silent and uh after the game people are out outward outwardly wondering when is the end of the Bayheim era you know when I mean, his son is leaves this, is this well right but it, you know is this the beginning of the end essentially are we finally getting to that you know light at the end of the tunnel that we thought was going to be here two three years ago well they might actually make a good hire which could be a negative for Georgetown so you never know what you want to sort of have happen <laughs> Yeah. Um, speaking of, you don't know what's going to happen. Is this, even though it's Villanova and Georgia hasn't won at Villanova since 2011, you know, they're one and two. No one really expects them to win this weekend. Ken Palm's got them, you know, a 30% chance of winning. I actually don't think this Villanova team is incredibly great. They, they, you know, they got a good win against Creighton the other day, but they weren't forced to score a lot of points. I think that this, this probably could be this, this could be one of their shots to win on the road. 
Yeah, I agree. I think it's not a terrible matchup. Um, I think Omir, if he if he comes to play, it's not a bad matchup for him inside. And yeah, um, Villanova with the pick and roll stuff, they're running a little bit more pick and roll than they did last year. Um, when really it was just Booth and Pascal that pretty much did everything for them. But um, I think as far as the hedging, that has been such an issue. Um, when they play their freshman Earl at, at the center, I think he's only made nine threes this year. So um, maybe without with him on the floor, you might not want to do that because he's not a pick-and-pop threat. But when they throw some other guys out there like Swider, um, they play Bay at power forward. Um, the hedging is actually a good option. So it's not – I think on paper it's not terrible. Um, I do think – Kind of totally slipped my mind that we did beat them last year at home. Uh, I kindly, kind of totally forgot about that one. But there's a great Associated Press story on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I think they have a better chance than than most people would give them on Saturday. Here's the thing, and this is, and this is for Nolan. What is your confidence level in this coaching staff's ability to put in a game specific? game plan based on matchup? Very low. Um, I think, especially when you get into conference play, when everybody knows your tendencies, everybody knows what you're going to do. Um, you know, it might not be so much about the game plan before the ball tips, but you need in-game adjustments in conference play. Um, and you just don't see that often enough out of the staff. Um, you want to – Ultimately, it does fall at Ewing's feet, but I don't think his staff has really helped him in that regard. Um, it's It just seems like they set out with the plan at the start of the year, and they're going to run what they run, and they're going to defend how, how they defend um, game to game, half to half. I, I don't see a lot of adjustments. Um, I'm sure there are. There are far smarter than me when it comes to that stuff. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't have a ton of confidence, especially with a league with coaches as good as there are in the Big East. Uh, you know, if you could sign me up for, you know, a neutral coaching um, edge, I would take it. But I think most games now we we probably are trying to overcome that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I'd agree with that. Um you know, on on the one hand, though, and there was that article on the site today where it was kind of like a Jekyll and Hyde, <laughs> and, and one of the things they talked about was um, uh, how everything this year has impacted our uh, assessment of, of Ewing as, as a coach. You know, has was it really the – and obviously everyone nationally is saying, oh, the defections of, you know, addition by subtraction, blah, 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 or was – Ewing, should we really give him a lot of credit for trying to implement what is up, what was otherwise a very effective offensive scheme that was brought down by some of the personnel we had? Um, yeah. You know, so it's, um, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, if you don't get buy-in, I mean, it doesn't matter what you do. It's not going to work. Um, I mean, Jay Wright went through that, you know, before they really took off six years ago. You know, you go back to the Corey Fisher, Corey Stokes teams they had. Um, they just fell apart chemistry wise and you know, Jay Wright got the right guys in there and you know, we know what's happened since then. So 
The buy-in is huge. I mean, I think you look back at the offense we played at the beginning of the year and into last year, you do have to wonder, not to keep harping on the kid, but how many times did Kenjo just break off from the offense and do his own thing? Um, I mean, it's been a vast difference with him and Terrell. He Terrell around the offense, and he goes out of his way to find guys shots. So, just chemistry. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, and unfortunately, I mean, and again, we don't look too far ahead, but obviously, with so many open scholarships for next season, Terrell's departure. What do you think are going to be the biggest needs on the recruiting trail? Everything. Yeah, I mean, the point guard one is huge. Um, I mean, to find a kid like Terrell, that was that worked out perfectly. Um, grad transfers, I think, are always tricky. I think 75% of the kids are looking for a bigger name program. They're looking to put up some stats um, in hopes of a pro career. I think Terrell's the exception to that. Just the kid who wanted to come home, and he's going to do whatever he can for the team. Um, I think those kids are, are hard to find in the grad transfer market. Um, mm-hmm. The point guard's huge. Uh, I mean, they need just about everything with all the scholarships are going to be open, but point guard would be, you know, I don't know enough about the Harris kid that they've got. Um, no one you know, does. We'll see with that. But yeah, I, I put point guard at the top of the list. I think too, you know, for years we heard, you know, after the tournament successes or the tournament failures, you know, Georgetown had gotten Freeman and Clark and Wright, and then the guards kind of stalled you know, because of the offense that was always, you know, when no one wants to come play for that. Well, after watching, you know, even with Mulmore and Dickerson in year one, and, you know, you're watching, you know, giving James the keys immediately a freshman and seeing what McClung is doing, I would think this would be a place where guards would want to come, and we just haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I mean, I I think if you're a guard, you've seen the freedom he'll give you. Um, he wants to get the ball up and down the floor. Uh, I think he's still has to overcome the stigma of just being a big man. Think People think he just wants to coach big men, but if I were a guard, i want to play in his system for sure. Absolutely. Speaking of guards, and we can sort of end on some nostalgia here, last night Kevin Braswell was at the game and hadn't really seen him around the program. He's not one of the guys that – I think he played in New Zealand for a really long time, New Zealand and Australia, had a pretty good career. He might be coaching there now, but – he was introduced and was kind of just like, hey, look, Kevin Braswell is here on the big screen. And then he was off. And I'm sitting there. Maybe it's because of my age. He was in college when I was in college. I did not go to Georgetown. I went to JMU. So I was pretty I was pretty local still. And I went to games here and there. He went to one, you know, one Sweet 16. He was a Baltimore kid. But he's a top 10 scorer. He's a, the program leader in assists and steals. And he was the leader in threes when his eligibility was up. Am I missing something? Do I think he's a way bigger deal than you guys? I I, I think he is just gets lumped in with all the Escher era guys, and, okay. and that's really the the reason for what, what you describe as, I guess, a muted reaction. I just think that whole era is not looked upon one that very fondly by by Hoyas fans. Even though they did make that Week 16, it was kind of fluky, right? I mean. Hey, you know, look, we, Georgetown's sweetie. been on the other side of the fluke. You got to take it when you get it. I get it. Look, I, look. I, <laughs> trust me, I get it. <laughs> but, you know, Sweetney was was probably you know the best player coming out of those years, and then you know you saw what happened to him in the pros, and yeah, I don't know. I, I just think people would prefer to 
move on from that whole Eshrick era, even though, as you mentioned, I mean, statistically, Braswell is certainly one of the, the better all-time Hoyas. Yeah, and, you know, he was yeah. there with, with Anthony Perry, who was supposed to be such a big deal, and he had to sit out his first year. Was that still Prop 48 time? I, I'm not totally sure, but he definitely sat his first year. I think Anthony Perry only played three seasons, but Braswell was the guy for, you know, four straight years, and he was on that team – I believe it was his senior year where they just decided not to go to the tournament or am I, am I misremembering? No, that's right. There, there, yeah. 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 So, I mean, yeah, I, I have a strong affinity for those early 2000 teams. Um, I think they were a good coach would have taken that talent to pretty good marks those seasons. Um, Oh, one, Oh, two, Oh, three. Um, I mean, Braswell, late game, I think, you know, it was always some poor decision-making, but how much of that was the coaching? I think the kid was a a very good player for the program. Um, Maybe the most talented point guard they had um, through those early 2000 teams. Um, Like, if you slapped them on, like, 06, 07, 08 teams. Um, do you get worse results than what you have with John Wallace? I don't know. So how do you so how do you rank, let's say, Braswell, Wallace, Starks? Ooh. Who's going first? I think I'd have to I think I'd have to go Wallace one. Um I mean he made a final four. Uh some of the biggest clutch shots in program history. Um mm-hmm. I would probably move Braswell to say. Um, I might give him a slight edge over Markel. Um, I think as good as Markel became kind of second half of 2013 in his senior season, um, he really kind of held you back um, in 2012, I thought. I thought that team was a solid uh, point guard away from really doing some damage and just never materializing a sophomore year. Yeah, and that's, it's interesting. I, I never thought about that. Uh, but if, if you put Braswell even on that the 2012-2013 team that you know that lost to Florida Gulf Coast, you wonder if they had another, you know, kind of high volume scoring option. Um, they did. He was just a freshman. Yeah, you know what I mean. But like, you know, if, if Braswell was the point guard at that time, yeah. I mean, it's all hindsight, 2020, of course, but. You know, do we lose that game and does everyone start hating themselves like I hate myself right now? Well, you know, it's a new year, so I think we gotta everyone needs to feel <laughs> a little bit better about themselves, Andrew. <laughs> I love your optimism. You're the most pessimistic guy on the planet and you are sharing me showering me with optimism and I love it. I'm not how am I pessimistic? Uh, look, I, I I think I'm sounding pessimistic, but I'm, I was just at the Superdome last weekend, you know, dealing with that nonsense after going through an entire season, after dealing with the no-call nonsense. So I'm, I'm just not in a good place right now. But at least we beat St. John's. Yes, at least they beat St. John's. Um, yeah, I think for me, for uh, the pessimism, I think from being at all of those tournament games has uh, definitely taken its toll on me. But you know what? 
you can't lose a tournament game and get upset as a high seed if you don't make the tournament as a high seed. So, you know, maybe I'm possibly yearning for those days. Well, that's not going to be an issue this year, uh, but hopefully well, they're the road seed to... right now. <laughs> hopefully the road to the NCAA tournament uh, begins this Saturday with an upset victory over the Wildcats. That would be huge. Hey guys, we're almost running out of time. Nolan, it was great to have you on as first time. This will definitely not be the last time. Thanks guys. Um, Good chance it'll win on Saturday. I'll say that. Yeah, I think so. And so I can give her, it's, it's nationwide Nolan, right? Is that what it is? Or am I saying it wrong? You got it. Nationwide Nolan on Twitter. He's a great Georgetown follow. What also is a great follow is to find this podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, what have you. Find us, say hi, rate us, subscribe. Kente Corner, the Casual Hoya podcast. Andrew, it was great to have you for the first time this year. Hopefully we can do this again after a big... What's that? Sports is pain. Sports is pain. You say that, but there could be a really fun podcast on Monday night with the two and two Big East Hoyas. (laughs) looking forward to it all right guys take it easy all right guys thanks guys